Thank you, Pris. I love uh, verses 31 and 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves in Hebrew, Yeshua. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What a great message of hope that Mary receives from the angel Gabriel. I mean, she's going to have a baby, and we're all so excited to know that a new baby is coming into the world, but this isn't just any ordinary baby. No, of course, every baby's extraordinary, but this is really an extraordinary baby. This baby boy is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of course, I've always found this a little bit humorous. Because when Mary hears this message, she doesn't say, yay, oh, great. She actually responds with a question. How will this be since I am a virgin? Teenage Mary feels the need to remind Gabriel of her marital status. You know, she's betrothed, but but she's not yet married. The, The marriage has not been consummated. She feels the need to remind Gabriel and even God that, you know, well, she's never known a man, and as if God and Gabriel had forgotten where babies come from. And so she has to tell them, you've forgotten one major detail here. Of course, God, the Gabriel responds by telling her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. What a great message of hope for Mary and for all of the people of Israel, a message that they desperately needed to hear. From the first century, it had been over 400 years since the people of Israel had heard a clear word from from a prophet like Malachi. It's true that prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah and Micah and Malachi had prophesied about a, about a Messiah coming, a Savior who would, who would save the people of Israel. But it's been over 400 years since God has spoken a clear word through any prophets, Malachi being the last one who spoke a clear word to the people of Israel. Furthermore, the people of Israel are now living under Roman rule, and they have been living under the rule of another nation for many, many centuries. You see, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel is conquered by Assyria. Then in 586 BC, the Babylonians conquer and and subjugate uh, the southern kingdom of Israel and conquer Jerusalem. And so the people of Israel had lived under Assyrian rule, Babylonian rule, then Persian rule, then Greek rule. And now they're living under Roman rule. Israel's hope of being a free, sovereign, self-governing nation seemed to be lost. All hope was lost for them, or so it seemed. What are we to do when all hope seems to be lost? This week I was reading the Wall Street Journal, and there was an interesting article on the front page about how the Well, how the suicide rate in our country is the highest it's been in over 50 years. 50 years ago, it was 1968. Any of y'all remember 1968, some of you? I wasn't even alive in 1968, but 
I've read about it, and I, I understand it was a really contentious time in our nation's country. After the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., you know, there were riots in cities like Kansas City and Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Baltimore. Racial riots were taking place. We were in the midst of a very unpopular war, sending thousands and thousands of young American boys out to Vietnam, a war that many people thought we should not even be fighting. And politically, our country was very divided. It was an election year, and LBJ had decided he was not going to run for election. And the, well, the, the candidate who seemed to be the most hopeful for the Democrats at the time, Bobby Kennedy, was assassinated in California, leading to a very contentious, even violent Democratic convention in the city of Chicago of 1968. Yes, the history books are full of all the violence and the division that existed in our country in 1968, 50 years ago. 50 years ago, things were much worse than they are today, and yet the suicide rate here in this country is as high as it was back then. It's the highest it's been since 1968. Why? We're not sending our young men to unpopular wars overseas. Yes, there's racial tension, but nothing like what we had in 1968. Yes, there's political division, but nothing like it was in 1968. Our economy overall is pretty good. So why is the suicide rate so high in our country today? Did you know that the suicide rate is twice that of the homicide rate here in the United States. Americans are twice likely to die by their own hands than the hands of another. Suicide now is the 10th leading cause of death in our country. Last year, 47,000 Americans took their own life. And sadly, one of my own groomsmen was one of those 47,000. I still have a hard time understanding why he would do that. He left a note, but it didn't make any sense. Why would someone with such talent and such ability and with a wonderful marriage, why would he take his own life? So many of us are are wondering why anything like this could possibly happen. It's hard for us to accept the harsh reality. In fact, I read in the Wall Street Journal that the suicide rate has gone up so much in the United States today that it's actually brought down the average life expectancy in our country for the first time in decades. Why are so many Americans making the decision to take their own life? Why would anyone commit suicide? If you've ever known someone who has taken their own life, That's one of the primary questions that plagues everyone who is left behind. We wonder why, why? Sometimes they leave a note, but the note doesn't answer everything. Yes, everyone has their own story, their own struggles, their own demons. Why? Why would someone take their own life? You know, regardless of the reason someone may give, sometimes they leave a note, sometimes they don't. Regardless of whatever they may write down, the overarching reason that someone would take their own life is that they have lost hope. People die without hope. We need hope to get out of bed in the morning. We need hope to overcome the challenges of this life. We need hope to keep on keeping on when times are difficult. So where does our hope come from? 
Where can real hope be found? To find out where real hope is found, please turn in your Red Pew Bibles to Psalm 130. It may be found on page 658 of your Red Pew Bible, Psalm 130. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're the God who speaks to us today as we read your word. Oh God, we pray that by your spirit you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that our eyes might be opened and our hearts might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Psalm 130, beginning with verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Historically, uh, Psalm 130 in the church has been known from its Latin name, De Profundis, which are the first few Latin words in the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Bible. De profundus means out of the depths. The Hebrew word for depths here is often used to describe the, the depths of the sea. For the people of Israel, the sea was, a, was, was chaos. It was a sign of chaos. So if you'll remember that Jonah was cast out into the depths of the sea, and at the bottom of the sea, he cried out to God a beautiful prayer that we read in Jonah chapter 2, and then God sends a fish to deliver him. Yes, out of the depths, this psalmist cries out because his life, like the sea, is chaotic. It's, it's unpredictable, out of control. Have you ever felt like your life was out of control, chaotic, uncertain? It's interesting to note that the psalmist seems to recognize that the chaos of his life, his sense of being, is actually a result of his own sin. For he offers a a plea for mercy, a plea for forgiveness specifically in verse 2 and 3. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities or mark sins, O Lord, who could stand? The psalmist knows that he is a sinner. And so he humbly states, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The truth is we're all sinners in need of God's grace. We all need to come to the Lord. We're asking for grace and mercy and forgiveness. You know, one of the best ways to to battle depression, to battle hopelessness, 
is to humbly come to God in confession, to confess our, our sins to Almighty God. And then as the psalmist writes in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. As we come to God with our confession, with our confession of our sins, we, we are reminded of God's forgiveness and grace and ultimately his unconditional, sacrificial love. A love that embraces us, that, that extends a, a warm hug to us no matter what we've done. You remember the story of the prodigal son that we read in, in the Gospel of Luke, a man who had squandered off his inheritance. And, and when he begins to make his journey back home, he, he's thinking in his mind the, the testimony and the explanation and, and how he's going to explain to his father and, and seek to just be one of his hired servants. Before the words can get out of his mouth, though, his father sees him at a distance and he comes running to his son to embrace him, to love him. Because our God loves us, regardless of what we've done. He loves us because he loves us. And when we confess our sins to God, we are able to experience that grace and that forgiveness once more. You know, I really like the way that Eugene Peterson in the message translates these first four verses of Psalm 130. In the message, Eugene Peterson writes, Help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. And that's why you're worshipped. We worship God because forgiveness is God's habit. God is in the business of offering forgiveness and grace. So even though I may have messed up yesterday... His mercies are new every morning. As you read in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Our hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When we feel ourselves becoming depressed and darkness seems to surround our soul, we need to humbly come to the Lord in confession so that we might experience God's forgiveness and grace and be reminded of just how much God loves us unconditionally, sacrificially. Yes, our God is... Kim pointed out in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, our God is faithful and just and will forgive us for all of our righteousness, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, Psalm 130 is identified as one of the seven penitential psalms in uh, the Psalter, Psalm 51 being another one where there's this uh, prayer of confession as a part of it. Psalm 130 is also one of the 15 ancient songs of ascent. It was sung by the faithful Jews who would climb to the mountain of Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And they would sing one of these songs of ascent on their way. It was, it was kind of like good road music, right? You know, 100 bottles of beer on the wall. Well, it's better than, way better than that song. One of those songs you sing while you're on your way, making your way to your place for them of worship. They had this song of ascent, a time of, of confessing their sin to God. One of the reasons we have a prayer of confession in every one of our worship services, as Kim just led us a moment ago, is so that we might come to God and confess our sins and be reminded again of God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. 
And the four gospels don't tell us this specifically, but I imagine when Jesus and his disciples were making their way to Jerusalem for that final Passover meal, for that Passover celebration where Jesus is ultimately crucified. I imagine that while they were on the way, somewhere along the road, they began to sing some of these songs of ascent. I mean, that's what faithful Jews did. They, they sang these songs of ascent. And I imagine that when they got to Psalm 130, how ironic it must be that they're praying for forgiveness, not realizing that, well, that their forgiveness is ultimately going to come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, the disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter had already confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the one who was going to save his people. But every time Jesus began to tell his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, they they never seemed to really get it. In fact, Peter tries to rebuke Jesus for saying such a thing. And, and And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. No, Jesus was on a mission. It was a mission that paid the price for our sins his death on a cross. In fact, Jesus identifies himself not as a conquering ruler who comes into Jerusalem to take over, but rather as a suffering servant. For Jesus states in Mark 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus identifies himself as that suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 53, which in Isaiah 53, verse 12, when he quotes Isaiah 53, verse 12, for in Luke 22, verse 37, Jesus says, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. In Isaiah 53, Verse 5 to 6, we read this beautiful description of this suffering servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. These prophetic words of Isaiah were were describing how the Messiah was going to come and ultimately be pierced, pierced, pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That is the gospel, the good news that because of Christ's great sacrifice, as Kim said a moment ago, our sins have been atoned for. Yes, our God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice, and perfect justice requires our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities to be atoned for, to be ransomed. It's like when when you're driving and you accidentally run through a red light and they take your picture, and they send you a photo of your license plate and say you owe $75. At least I hear that's what's happened. That's what happens, right, Kim? Kim told me that. I I wouldn't do that. No, I've done that. True confession. Our minivan seems to get a lot of pictures lately. But anyway, I get this picture and I owe a fee and I've got to pay the fee. Well, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid the fee for us so that we could be made right with God, so that our account could be cleared, so that when God looks at us, he sees Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
Yes, Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father so that when he died on the cross, he died as the perfect sacrifice, not for his sins, but for our sins. Then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have the gift of a new life. That is where our hope is found. It's found in Jesus. Not in our circumstances, not in our bank accounts, not in what others think about us, not in our accolades, not in our achievements, not in our success in our businesses, not in our retirement accounts. No, our hope is found in Jesus who conquered the grave for us so that we don't have to fear death. Rather, we can walk in the confidence and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. For as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 25 to 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's because Jesus lives, we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will live. And we'll be with Jesus in paradise, where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more darkness, only the light of Christ. As Paul reminds the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. No, we have the hope and the reality of the resurrection, that those who have died, who have gone ahead of us, have simply preceded us in glory. It's the cross and the empty tomb helps us see that we are forgiven. They help us see just how much God loves us, that he would give us his only son. The cross and the empty tomb give us hope to know that death does not have the final say for those who call upon the name of the Lord. So how should we then live as people of great hope who seek to share this hope with others? Notice in Psalm 130, the subject matter goes from the psalmist talking about himself, and eventually he begins to encourage the people of Israel with this good news of hope. In verses 5 and 6, you read, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist speaks of, of how, the, how he waits for the Lord. And the way he waits is he, he meditates on God's word. He, he puts his hope in the promises of God. How are we to wait on the Lord in the midst of dark times? We are to turn to God's word so that we might be reminded of the promises of his word. And as we look at all of scripture, we can see that all of scripture ultimately points to the good news of God's love. We find in Jesus, specifically that we find at the cross, And at the empty tomb. And then as we see in verse 7 to 8, we are called to encourage others with that hope. For the psalmist encourages, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We need to take the hope we've received and give it to others. To remind them that our God is a God of love and forgiveness and grace. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? As many of you know, uh, my father died in August. 
After a difficult battle with prostate cancer, the prostate cancer moved from his prostate to his hip, ultimately to his spine. The last weekend of his life, every movement was excruciating in pain. And when he died, I was sad, but also I was, I was relieved. I was grateful. I was grateful for the 44 years that I had with my father. And I was grateful that he no longer had to suffer in pain. And I was grateful to know that because of his strong faith in Jesus, I knew without a doubt that my father is with Jesus in paradise where there's no more cancer, there's no more pain, no more struggle, only praise. But you know, some days, particularly during the holidays, I can feel more grief than peace. Some days I have more pain than joy. Some days, like this past Thanksgiving, when we gathered around the Thanksgiving table, I was hoping to hear his voice offer that prayer of thanks. But he wasn't there. He was with Jesus. And while I find great peace in knowing that he's with Jesus, I also find great sadness in not having him here with us today. Yeah, some days, some days there's more pain than joy. Some days I feel depressed, some days I cry. You know, the holidays aren't always filled with celebration. Sometimes, some years, they're filled with tears. But in the midst of the tears, in the midst of the pain, I turn to God's word. And I remember that our God is always with us. That's what Christmas is about, Emmanuel, God with us. And I read God's word, but I also receive God's word, oftentimes through notes that people have sent us. Many of you have sent us these kind notes. I am so grateful this congregation has loved on me and my family in such amazing ways by sending us notes of condolences, notes of encouragement. And it's been interesting to me in this process. You know, I've written those notes myself, but I've never had to receive them like I have now. And now as a recipient, I have found that every note is a blessing. But the notes that seem to mean the most to me are the notes... point to Christ. Let me know they're praying for me. They quote the scriptures. They remind me of the reality of the resurrection. There were so many notes I could have read as an example, but this is just one to kind of give you an idea. The cover, it's written by Hallmark. They got it right this time. Prayer in time of loss is more than us reaching up to God and him reaching down. It's him sitting next to us, putting his arms around us, listening to every word and holding us tightly through our tears. And then it quotes Psalm 145, verse 15. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Praying you'll feel his loving arms surrounding you today with caring sympathy. And then our friend writes this, our hearts are broken to hear about the loss of your precious father. He was an amazing, kind, and loving man who is rejoicing in heaven. 
May you always remember the good times and that our Lord and Savior says in quotes, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, Hebrews 13, verse 5. May the Lord give you peace, comfort, and strength to face the days ahead, our love and prayers. Who do you know who needs to receive one of these notes this Christmas season? Please don't send me any more. I have received my fair share. (laughs) But there's someone who needs to receive a note, someone who lost a loved one this last year, and this Christmas season may be filled with more tears than celebration. As you write that, remind them of the promises of God's word. What's a favorite passage of scripture you might give to them? Romans 8, 38 to 39 is one of my favorite. Nothing can separate us from love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let them know the the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus says, I am the the resurrection life, as I registered a moment ago in John chapter 11. I am the resurrection of life, and whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What is that verse that gives you hope for that loved one who's passed? Share that word with them today, this Christmas season. And as you do, invite them to join us in the glorious celebration. That at Christmas time, we were reminded that God is Emmanuel. In Jesus Christ, God is Emmanuel. God is with us, and nothing can separate us from his love, not even death itself. Yes, God will be with us in our grief and our mourning, and our hope is found in the promises of God's word. And we know that God loves us because we can look at the cross, and we can look at the empty tomb, and we can see that God has loved us with an unconditional, sacrificial love, and his love has no end. And nothing can take us away from that love. Amen? Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, as we look at the Psalm 130 today, this Psalm of Ascent, it was Martin Luther's favorite Psalm because it clearly proclaims the gospel that in you we have forgiveness. And Lord, we have times of waiting that are hard, but Lord, we, we wait and we turn to your word and in your word we find hope for in your word we are reminded That you are the God who is with us. You are the God who is for us. And in Jesus Christ, you are the God who has won the battle over both sin and death. So that those who are in Christ know that death does not have the final say. That we will always be with you. That nothing can separate us from your great love. And in that we find hope in the midst of a dark time. Oh God, help us to be an instrument of hope. Help us to reach out to others with the hope of your word to encourage them this Christmas season. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people sin.